Well, it's really good to see all y'all today. If you're a guest, my name's David, and I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. You're always invited to come in worship with us uh, and the things we have going on. We're glad that you're a part of things. Look forward to a night, to a great night of worship. And I'm sorry if you want to come, you don't have a ticket. You just can't come. It's just the way it works out. And I um, wish you could make it, make it different, but, you know, well, I could, but it's going to cost you a lot of Benjamins to make that happen. So we're glad you're here. <laughs> Uh, in May, we are uh, going to have Family Month. Family Month is always a big time for us, a good time for us. I'll be bringing a series of messages. Uh, the series is entitled The Big Messy, and because family life, and in particular marriage, can be messy. So we want you to be here. Ladies, be sure you bring your husband, your fiance, your boyfriend that first Sunday, because I'm going to just beat us guys up a whole lot that first Sunday, I'm just telling you, to look forward to. So if you're mad at them in particular, you get in a fight the night before, say you're coming to church. You're going to be there and you're going to hear what he has to say. So it's, it's a great time. It, um, it was a spring. It was a time when kings went off to war and David stayed home. And those words begin one of the most critical and changing sagas in all of Scripture. It begins the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. And it begins a part of the story of the life of David and his family and of the people of Israel that were forever changed, forever altered because of one act, one act of sin on his part. I have preached this passage from the Old Testament more than any other Old Testament passage with the exception of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 because there is no clearer link in all of Scripture between our sin and the consequences of that sin than there is in this particular passage. And I will tell you that this, you know, this is not a sermon about how to avoid sin and how to stay out of a sin. This passage is a don't, this sermon is a don't do it sermon. This is a warning of what will happen to you if you make a decision, a conscious decision to enter into a life-altering sin that you know is wrong for you. Now, while I preach this passage many times, I got to be honest, this passage always gets me. This sermon just beats me up every time. Because, you know, it's not like because I preach it so much, I just pull out a file and I just repeat that thing. No, I do all the study. I do all the prep. I write this sermon fresh. There's material that I haven't used before. I mean, I'm sitting here for, this, for the entire time that I work on this, reading about David's sin, David's adultery, David's murder. David did this. David did that. David failed God. And when your name's David, you just get tired of it, you know? <laughs> and not only that, I got to preach this message four times today. And it's always hard. Because when I see David, I see me. And I see the life and the sin that can happen to me. So today's message, when David stayed home. 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 5. And here's the thing you need to see from this sermon today. If, if you give in to temptation and sin, you're going to hurt a lot of people. And you're the one to blame. My friend, you will be the one to blame. So I'm going to take this passage and break it up into three parts. And the first is this. David stopped doing what God expected him to do. David just stopped doing what God expected him to do. Now, understand this about David. David's the greatest king Israel ever had. Even after his sin, 
God said, this is a man after my own heart. That never changed. In the Old Testament, there are three great men that the Old Testament moves around. The story arcs really center on them. Abraham, Moses, and David. And David being the last. And, and reality is, from the time that David became king to the time of Jesus, the story arc of the people of Israel centered on David and the Messiah that's to come from him. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who worshiped God and only God. He eradicated all the idols. In his kingdom, there was no place that people could worship any false gods. And while he sinned against the commandments of God, he never directly disobeyed anything God told him to do. Unlike Saul, unlike Solomon, unlike every king that would follow, the good and the bad, he never did that. This is a unique individual that loved God with everything that he had. He was the golden boy with red hair from the time he stepped on the stage. But there was a point in his life when David had a problem. And it began when David disregarded. David disregarded who he was. So we see, starting in verse 1, in the spring, at the times when kings go off to war, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon. And they besieged Rabbah. But David, but David stayed in Jerusalem. David was a war king. That's what he did. That's what God called him to do. He was not a diplomat. He was not a great economic mind like Solomon would be. From the time he came on the sea, David fought. He fought for the glory of God. And his men fought for David. And that's what they did. <clears throat> when David came onto the scene, you know, and everybody loved him, and he beat Goliath, and then he became this great warrior, and he fought for Saul, and the people would sing. The women would sing. Oh, the women loved David. And David, I guess, he was the rip of his day, I guess, for you Yellowstone fans. I mean, he was David. <laughs> Better language, but David, and David was just tough. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands. You know, Saul hated David. He got jealous. And so when Saul ran David out, what did David do? He just gathered around him a bunch of guys. They were tough men. They were, they were rebels. They were criminals. They were outlaws. They were from other countries and other places. And they just rallied around David. And they were his guys. And they fought with David. And their loyalty was to David. Their loyalty was not to David's God. When David became king, their loyalty wasn't to the kingdom, it was to David. And they stayed with him. And in chapter 10, there was a country outside of his kingdom that was a buffer called Ammon. And the Ammonites, David, David, David sent when their king died because they were a vassal. They were kind of, they were subject to David as act of courtesy. He sent some delegates representing him to welcome the new king. And the new king humiliated those delegates. It was an act of war. And the Ammonites, the Arameans got together to fight David. And David's men just crushed them. They put a whooping and a half on those guys. But they didn't get to finish it off. And so when the winter came, the bad weather, they stopped fighting. But they were coming back in the spring. And it was the spring, and it was time for David to go fight. Now, David was past fighting age. He was probably over 50. His days of picking up a sword and leading them were long gone. He had done his share. But David was their leader. He was their inspiration. Those men were fighting for David. They were fighting for his honor. 
And David should have been with them as their inspiration, as their motivation to look at them and lead them on. And instead, David stayed home. We don't know why. Maybe he thought, man, I've done my part. I fought. I shed a lot of blood. He's the most powerful man in the world at this time. Maybe he's thinking, man, I don't got to fight no more. This is, this is minor league stuff. Joab and the guys, they can handle this. I'm going to stay here and enjoy my prosperity. I'm going to stay here and enjoy all my power, and I ain't going. And he disregarded what God called him to do. And understand this, when you disregard God's expectations, you open yourself up to sin. You open yourself up to sin. Being a war king was who he was. It's how his people understood him. It's one of the reasons they followed him. His relationship with God, he loved God. He fought for the glory and honor of God. And he left all that behind. He didn't do what he was to do. He didn't fulfill his part of the relationships. See, all of us in our relationship have expectations. And they're not going to be like they were in the Old Testament. I get that. But you, you, you're married or you're engaged or you're dating. There's expectations. Expectations of love and commitment and fidelity. Expectations of you being the only one in your business world. There's expectations of honesty and integrity and character. Of understanding who you are and what you're called to do. In your relationships with your kids and your family, there are expectations. As a follower of Jesus, there are expectations of who you are to be and the character of your life. Understand this. It's not just about what you do. It's about who you are. It's always about who you are in here. David disregarded. The second thing that we see is David. He considered temptation. James 1 says, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt and he ain't going to get tempted. You're tempted when your lust and your desires lead you astray. David desired. And we're going to see exactly who it was he desired. What I'm about to share with you <clears throat> in these next couple of verses is probably not how you normally hear this presented. But it's the way you need to understand it. Now, Verse 2, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. Now, back then, you know, kind of like today, it gets hot in the afternoon in spring, and David slept, and they took siestas, and then, you know, in the evening they get up. Now, he had this house, like our house, you know, most of your, a lot of your houses have flat roofs, and some of you probably use that to entertain. I see that all in my neighborhood uh, to do that. I don't entertain. Uh, I throw stuff up there so when I have no place to put it, but I don't entertain up there. <laughs> And, you know, and, and so, and, and David's palace, you know, we, it's not like Buckingham Palace. It's not some massive palace that we think of. I mean, this was a long, long time. It's 3,000 plus years ago. And he had, a, he had a big house, biggest house, probably on the hill. Jerusalem would have been a walled-in city. And there would have been a lot of houses in and around David, okay? A lot of houses around his house, okay? And so, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And this was not like a big bathtub or a hot tub. It was just purification. She was just, just washing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now, she was close enough for him to know she was good looking. I, uh, the other day, I just walked out, you know, stood right here, and I looked out over the houses that are about a, over like 100 plus yards away. Don't know any of our neighbors. 
did not see anyone bathing. So let's clarify that right away. But here's what I could tell you. I couldn't tell if on that first half, I couldn't tell you if someone there was beautiful or not. It's too far away. I think we get this mindset that David was just up on the housetop one day looking out and way off in the distance, he saw this beautiful woman bathing. No, 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 no. She was close. I mean, within, you know, 30, 40 yards probably. I mean, David had a big house, but all the houses around David would have been the people that were important to David and his kingdom. He wasn't just going to have neighbors he didn't know about. Nobody was just going to pull up a double wide and park it next to the king's house. And so the riffraff, you know, moved in next door. Not that if you have a double wide, you're riffraff. I don't mean that. <laughs> Let me clarify. I'm not going to say that line in the next sentence service. I'll just take that line. Shride on it. Now, single wide, that's different. But anyways, verse... <laughs> How did I do that, Ken? I was okay at that point, and I just crossed that line. I didn't have to cross it. So David sent and inquired about the women, the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now, this is written in a very formalized style, point, 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 point. And so David sent and inquired about who that is. Now, come on. You need to know who these people are, because I guarantee you David knew who, who they were. Her daddy was Eliam. Now, if you read more in you know, the rest of 2 uh, Samuel, and if you go into um, Chronicles, you'll see a lot of this stuff. Eliam was one of David's elite soldiers. Remember when I told you David gathered those guys around him? That was Eliam. Way back when David was fleeing Saul. Way back when David was a rebel. Way back when David was running from the law. Eliam was with him. He fought with David. He bled with David. They had scars from battles together. This was one of his closest guys, Eliam, elite troop. Eliam's daddy, not mentioned here, but we know later on, was a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was one of David's most important advisors. If David had a cabinet, Ahithophel was the secretary of state or the secretary of defense. I mean, this cat was important in his life. When Absalom rebels against David, Ahithophel goes to advise Absalom, and David is worried that Absalom will follow the brilliant advice of Ahithophel. He knew their family. They lived next door to him. Bathsheba could have been his daughter. He had known her since she was little. And in some way, shape, form, or fashion, he'd have watched her grow up. And her husband, Uriah, was one of David's 30 men, the 30. That was their name. That was the guys, the 30. They were these men who did amazing heroics, fought unbelievable fights. They were part of David's group. This family was connected to David. He knew Bathsheba. Oh, and by the way, Bathsheba knew David. Sometimes, a lot of times, Bathsheba is presented as this innocent Young girl just bathing on the roof next door to the king's house. You don't think she knew the king was there? You don't think she knew what was going on? Bathsheba is an unbelievably ambitious woman. Go read 1 Kings chapter 1, not now, later on. That's one of the most ambitious, ruthless women in the Bible is Bathsheba. She knew what she was doing. They both know what they were doing. I mean, they both knew what was going on. David looked at her, that young girl, he desired her in his heart. I mean, man, David, David was flirting with disaster. 
Back in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a group called Molly Hatchet. Anybody remember Molly Hatchet? Southern rock, country rock group. They had a great song, Flirting with Disaster. The last line, the line they leave that song with, the line they go away from says this, I'm flirting with disaster every day. That's David. And that's some of you. You're flirting with disaster every day of your life in sin. Now, I'm not talking about some little sin that doesn't, that has minor consequences. By the way, when people tell you all sin is the same, that ain't true. I don't know why preachers ever say that. It's not true. It's not all the same. Flirting with somebody, if it's a sin, ain't the same as adultery. We know that, right? The consequences aren't the same. Stealing five bucks ain't like stealing 500,000 bucks. Consequences are different. And even to God, I mean, God punishes some things more severely than others. <clears throat> it's not that any sin separates us from God, though technically, theologically, that's true. It's that we are sinners. The reason we're separated from God is we are sinful people. It's not who, what we do, it's who we are. We're sinners. All sin ain't the same. There's some sins that bring disaster. Listen, somebody says something ugly to you and you snap back and you go, I'm sorry, it's over. You're, you're, you, know, you leave church today and, and you pull out, you know, and somebody cuts you off and you honk and say something. Please don't do that leaving church. But that's, it's not the same as if you follow them or run them over in a parking lot over at, you know, the game. That's a whole lot different. We're talking about a huge decision. Some of you at a point in your life where those decisions are real. Listen to me very carefully on this. This is the best thing I'm going to tell you up to now. At some point, you walk away. David could have walked away. Bathsheba could have walked away. You can always walk away. Guys, that girl you marry, that girl you're thinking about marrying, she's the only one you get to have a relationship with. There's no other women you get to have a relationship with. Now, I know your mama and your sisters, they don't care. You don't, you don't get, I know, like, you know, when I married Debbie, there were people that I already knew. And I'm still friends with them. I'm friends with them to this day. We talk. I pray for them. But we weren't close. I didn't build a relationship with them. If, if we did something, Debbie was with me. There are, I don't have any female friends unless they're couples. And Debbie and I have a relationship with the couple together. Before Debbie passed, I mean, it, it, there were no single women that I was close to. For, for over 40 years, I was never friends with a single, single woman. <laughs> Double. <laughs> never. Ever. Didn't happen. They, single women thought I was a cold, heartless kind of guy. And I was to them. Because my wife needed to know, above all else, she's the only one that has my attention. She had all my attention. No one else. I didn't need a relationship with anyone else. I didn't need some girl making me feel that young, you know. You know, Godly Dave, you're still young and good looking. I didn't need that. My wife may or may not tell me that it didn't matter. Ladies, you don't need some guy that's sensitive in your life. I know your husband doesn't listen to you. I know he dresses like a slob. Understand this, ladies, about your husband. He is whatever you made him to be. Every one of you marries a man and thinks you're going to change him. Okay, you changed him. <laughs> he was, you know, he listened and was well-dressed, and he took care of himself, and he met you, and you let him go. If you want to complain about your husband, go find another lady to complain with. Y'all can get a whole group together and meet for coffee. 
Y'all can even pray and have Bible study. And you can complain about men all you want, but you don't find another man. You don't get to do that. You walk away from that relationship. You do it today. I don't care if you hurt someone's feelings. You don't want to destroy your family. I looked at my wife, and one thing I never wanted, I knew I was not, a, I, I knew that I failed her in so many ways. But I wanted to make sure she knew that no other woman ever had my attention but her. No other woman. No other woman had my attention but her. And when she turned and walked away, I followed her and no one else. And women and men, you have the right and the responsibility to tell your spouse, your fiance, whoever, you're not comfortable with him having a relationship with that other person. And you want them to stop. And by golly, you better stop. That business relationship that you want so bad, that you think will make you rich, but you're going to be a partner up with somebody you can't trust. Everybody tells you you can't trust them. Everybody tells you they're a crook. Walk away. It isn't worth it. If you love someone who's thinking about that, tell them, don't have a business relationship with them. Walk away. That substance that you're relying on, I understand. <clears throat> but that bottle isn't going to make your life feel better. That pill isn't going to make your life feel better. And at some point, you better turn and walk away. And if you love someone, you help them walk away. Basically, there's four areas in our life, four, where the big sin will come and take us away. It's sex, success, substance, and self. And ultimately, self is at the center of all of it. It's about you, what you want, who you are. And so you make the decision in your life to stay home, to stay home, to stay home. Third thing we see about David is this. David surrendered to sin. He gave it. He didn't have to. He could have walked away. He could have turned. Nah. Get this about David. David decided. He decided to take Bathsheba. It was wrong. He knew it was wrong. He was the king. He knew the law. The law applied to him. Bathsheba knew the law. It applied to her. <clears throat> Verse 4. And a matter of fact, David sent messengers and he took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived. And she sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. And oh, by the way, she knew she would get pregnant. I mean, they knew. Come on. She knew. So what does David do? He tries to hide it by having her husband come home to sleep with her, but he's an honorable man and won't do it. So David has him killed. The baby they have, the baby that they were to have died. The baby lost his life because of David's sin. And oh, by the way, I'm going to preach about that passage where David's baby died in my sermon series on the family. I'm actually doing it Mother's Day, which when I think about it, it's probably not the best time to do that, but I am. It's just the way it rolls sometimes. Amnon, his son, Rapes Amnon's half-sister Tamar. David does nothing about it. Tamar's brother Absalom kills Amnon. David does nothing about it. Amnon, I mean Absalom, begins a civil war against David. Absalom eventually loses his life in that civil war. Solomon will become king. He will face a civil war against his brother Adonijah, who he has killed. And David's grandson, 
<clears throat> excuse me, Rehoboam will be king, and because he's such a lousy king, immediately there is civil war. And all of this happened. All of the life in the history of Israel, all of their, all of the way that their, their nation should have gone, all changed because of one sin of David. One sin did all of this. One sin that one man chose to do affected the lives of countless people for decades and centuries to follow. So let me warn you with three things to help you if you're thinking about that sin. The first is this. You, don't, you do not stumble into sin. You choose sin. David didn't slip up. It wasn't a mistake. You know, it wasn't something that happened by accident. It was a cold-blooded, heartless, calculated decision. He didn't stumble into anything. He chose it. Some of you right now are thinking about that sin. This might be the very week you're thinking about taking that step in that sin. Understand you chose that path. It is your choice and your choice alone. And if you take that path, it's cold, it's heartless, it's selfish, it's evil, and it's yours. You can walk away. But it's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not something you stumble into. It's something you chose. And you'll live with it. Oh, by the way, everyone else will live with it as well. Let's bring you to the second warning. If you choose sin long enough, eventually everybody will know. Everybody knew David's sin. They know it to this day. You mentioned King David. Two things come immediately to mind. Goliath and Bathsheba. It should have been just one. It's two. When I think about this second one, this hits me the hardest, I think, sometimes. Everyone will know. You know, I'm the pastor of this church. And I know that if I choose a path of sin, every one of you will know it. Every one of you will find out my sin. I know I can be forgiven, but you know what never happens? The be forgotten part. You ever hear someone say, oh, you gotta forgive and forget? No, 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 no. That's not biblical, by the way. You don't ever forget. Sometimes you have to remember because you can't trust a person. People will forgive you. Your wife will never forget. Your husband will never forget. Your kids will never, ever forget. Your sin will hurt the lives of people who love you and depend upon you. That's the third warning. They will hurt people. I mean, if I could do it and it was just me, yeah, I might do it. I'm just honest with you. If I look and say, if I do that, I'm the only one? Well, I'm a gambling man. Not literally. But I might roll the die. Take my chances. But it would hurt Debbie and Kelly. It would hurt my staff. Hurt their families. It would hurt you. 
And it's the same for you. You're going to hurt people. You have hurt people. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. If, as I begin the sermon today, you give in to temptation and sin, you will hurt a lot of people. And you're the one to blame. Oh, it's just you. No one else. You bear it. And while you can be forgiven, praise God, and live with that forgiveness, you will always live, you will always live just like David with the consequences of your sin. Some of you today need to decide not to commit that sin. You're so close. And you've already disregarded and you've already desired. And now it's decision time. And this is your last warning. This is your last chance. Decide not to sin. Say no. Some of you have already sinned. You need to ask forgiveness. And if you've already asked for forgiveness, you don't need to ask it again. But you need to ask for forgiveness. And some of you need to forgive. I'm not saying you forget. I'm not saying you pat them on the head and say it's okay. It may never be okay, but you've got to for your sake. Not for their sake. For your sake, you've got to forgive. And some of you have people you love and you care about, and you know they're headed towards the substance that's going to ruin their life, or they're headed towards the striving for success that will ruin their life, or they're headed for the relationship that's going to ruin their life. And some of you, it's your kids, and you see it. And you need to warn them. You need to warn them. In just a moment, we'll be here at the front. Ladies, I know you prefer a lot of times, especially like this, to talk to another woman. There'll be a woman here with you. We'll pray for you. Pray for someone you love. Just because someone comes forward doesn't mean there's some great sin in their life. Don't think that. But understand this. When you walk out of this place today, don't be like David. Don't stay home. So Father, what a tough story. It's there. It's a warning to us. It's not an encouragement. It's not just a teachable moment. It's not a sermon of this passage of comfort. It's just this big bare warning. Don't do this. So help us take heed and help us to listen and not to disregard and not to decide, and not to decide and stay home and sin, but to trust you, trust Christ, and help us to walk away. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You come.